As a member of the Bureau, I spend most of my time seeking simple answers to difficult questions. In the pursuit of Laura's killer, I have employed Bureau guidelines, deductive technique, Tibetan method, instinct, and luck. But now I find myself in need of something new, which, for lack of a better word, we shall call magic. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the 17th episode of Twin Peaks, Arbitrary Law. Yep, a.k.a. episode 16. It was written by Mark Frost, Harley Payton, and Robert Engels, the classic bunch, and it was directed by Tim Hunter, who, I don't know if he's directed Twin Peaks stuff before, but he's directed a ton of TV at that time and now. Okay. Um, And this aired December 1st of 1990. So in this episode, Cooper finally puts all the pieces together and Leland Palmer is apprehended. Plus, uh, Mr. Tajimura finally reveals his true identity. To Ben Horn. To, to Ben Horn. Because Tajimura was revealed. I know, that was the joke. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop it. I just like that we get another scene of like, oh my God, who's Tajimura? It's Taj- Catherine. And then also yet again in the opening credits of this episode, uh, Piper oh, Lori as Catherine as, and Tajimura as, as Tajimura and Catherine Martelli. Yeah, yeah. Good. I like that, that character's name in the credits is just Tajimura. I think we talked about that before, but just mm-hmm. like it's not Mister, it's nothing, just Tajimura. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This episode, I don't know if you agree with this, Jake. This episode to me, okay. So what was it? Two weeks ago was the exact midpoint of Twin Peaks, or was it last week? It, uh, it was two weeks ago, I think, and that was also because two weeks ago was David Lynch's episode, Lonely Souls, which okay, was right. uh-huh. when. Yep, Lila yep. kills Maddie. You're right. So, um, so that was the like literal midpoint. But this episode, upon watching it this time, feels to me like the thematic midpoint of the series. Like this is the point at which the show becomes about the like mythos and the yeah, and well, if it all has, that stuff in a way more overt like, way. Th- than the it- actual tipping point is probably Leland with Bob speaking through him being like, like that time in Philadelphia. And right. then he yeah, dies. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man. Yeah. Or just land some road out here. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty, pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. That. And then, uh, there's, yes, you're totally right. That, that is probably the single most appropriate moment to call out at that fulcrum. Um, and then there's also in, in sort of less, uh, evocative, uh, in, in, in a less evocative uh, sense, there's Cooper just kind of listing all of these things that connect in a way that is. Uh, you mean m- like when he's like basically saying, they said this, which means that in my dream. Right. And like, or yeah. he just is like, mm-hmm. here's, let us stitch you a tapestry of every clue from the whole right. first half exactly. of Twin Peaks yeah. and how it arrives today. Yeah, it, it, it really feels neat and tidy in a way that the show has not felt to me up till this point, And which reminds me a lot more of the, all of the kind of um, like drilling down into the sort of rules of this mythology. Yeah. It was, it, from it was sort on. of that, that um, this was kind of an episode of parlor room scenes. I mean, with the literal most extreme one being the thunderstorm in the roadhouse where Cooper is actually like, I've gathered you all here today to reveal right. the killer. <laughs> yeah. But like, the one, the thing you're talking about is also that in a certain way, but it's sort of the the, the like mythic, like lore mm-hmm. version of that. Right. But also the the third sort of major brick being laid towards season two was that scene with Norma and her mom because that starts the what is surely the empty Wentz arc, as which as we know <laughs> on rewatch uh, is sort of yeah. You you had no compunctions about spoiling that. I don't care. <laughs> no, it's so obvious. I'm sorry. Some people didn't realize oh. in the forums. Yeah. Well, what, it'll shock you the most to discover that it's the fulcrum of the back half of Twin Peaks <laughs> and the controversial reason that many people stopped watching the show. <laughs> when Norma's mom moves in, who knows what happens with her and Hank at the double R. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, when Bob possesses M.T. Wentz. <laughs> Twin Peaks season three, the Poison Pen, Showtime, twenty sixteen. I saw a, uh, I saw um, some blog post where somebody outlined like 
all the care every single character from Twin Peaks and like are they likely to return? And it was you know Bob and how his actor died and you know Cooper obviously is con- confirmed with Kyle McLaughlin and and everyone 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 <laughs> M T Wentz. <laughs> The actress who portrayed M.T. Wentz uh, has died. This was a very minor character and is not likely to be returning. <laughs> yeah, probably probably not. I'm glad you covered that possibility, though, that whether M.T. Wentz will appear in season three of, uh, of Twin Peaks. I honestly, the reason that I don't feel bad about spoiling M.T. Wentz is because I couldn't remember last episode or the episode before if it was a spoiler or if my brain was just like, okay, know, this I, is clearly I, the critic. I know, I can tell that you weren't actually... Spoiling it in the sense that you weren't remembering. Like it, it could still be that fat guy in the cowboy hat, even though he's also the DA. <laughs> Who's to say? Right. Could be. Could be Catherine. We already know. We already know she's really good at disguises. Right. What if it's her? She's incredibly critical. She seems to have That's a true. pretty refined taste. Mm-hmm. True. She's good at disguises. She could have uh-huh. been that DA. Also, <laughs> Catherine could have been back longer than we thought. Spoilers. Uh, so the, the, <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. Um, this episode opens with a shot of Maddie that I think was even more reminiscent of. Yeah, they the, went, they, they, they really of, went for it. They know. shied away from it last time, but this mm-hmm. time it's just, oh, it's just Laurel. It was good. I, I, yeah. I, I thought it was effective. It was kind of shocking to have the episode open basically the exact same way as the pilot, as the pilot. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yep. Um, oh, and then also, okay, so this was 1991. It was right? 90, I think. Or is it still 1990? So, um, the, uh, after that, there's the shot of, I guess, Albert. Yeah, Cooper, December Truman, of 90. Bob. Oh, man, that slow mo. Yeah, the festival. Reservoir Dogs thing, yeah. which, I mean, I didn't really originate in Reservoir Dogs, but which all throughout the 90s became. Basically, its own yeah. film meme. Okay, so there were there were two of those that I noticed that I I know were surely not deliberate, but that shot. Well, and then when the giant drops the ring and disappears, and the ring bounces on the ground in slow motion, and then Cooper leans over it and picks it up in that insert mm-hmm. shot. Yeah, and then puts it on. I think that's like shot for shot Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I know. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, including the slow-mo and the cheesy, bad, like, over-enunciated dings on the ring. Like, but, oh, man. Those, <laughs> like, know. those sort of wide-angle, weird, uh, low-angle shots of Cooper leaning over the ring. It's like, mm-hmm. you could just splice those together on top of Gandalf and, and uh, <laughs> on top of uh, Ian McKellen and Ian Holm pondering right. the ring in the first Lord of the Rings. It was strange. Yeah. I know. I had the it same just looked ripped. It just looked like Jackson Peter Jackson ripped it off. I know, it was, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So Quentin Tarantino and uh, Peter yeah, Jackson, Jackson heavily really. influenced <laughs> by uh, Tim Hunter. By yeah, by arbitrary law. Um. Oh, and then another thing I liked. About okay, the- sorry. I hope that Tim Hunter saw Fellowship of the Ring and was like, "Please." <laughs> Sitting there in the in it's the like, theater, just giving it the side eye. He's like, "I did this." 19 years ago. No, yeah. Lord of the Rings 16 years ago, whenever yeah. that was. Yeah. No, it would have been... Because Lord of the Rings was like 2005, six, wasn't it? No, it was like 2003 or something. Still fresh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also, in the in that opening scene, really liked the... Not that you were talking about the opening scene, but uh, there was an incredibly long like dolly shot or something of just sort of branches I like and like that out of I focus think, leaves. I feel like Cooper looks up and that yeah, we're seeing his he, point yes, of view. You're right. And, and, and in it, my notes, I just wrote down Twin Peaks for that shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, except that there aren't a lot of shots like that at Twin No, Peaks. but just that feeling of the woods and that color palette oh, and a totally. sort of like slow, yeah, contemplative yeah, yeah, yeah. shot of nature. It's very different. It's like a different angle on it, but at the same time, like... Yeah, I thought it was really it, cool. Yeah. And and it and I I thought it... So I already thought it was cool as you're just following the shot. And then it it eventually... Uh, reaches like focuses on the evidence bag that Albert is presenting. Right. It, it was really well done. I thought yeah. because you're you're getting accustomed to this sort of languid photography, and then suddenly you're in close focus. Yep. On on an actual plot object. I thought that was really cool. And then Albert blasts out his Albert business. Yeah, although he's super all in on Cooper's. Whole I know Albert. Deal at this Albert point. has reached a turning point. Yeah. Which is. F- 
fully proven by the end of the episode where he's like, well, people have actually seen Bob, so it can't be totally bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to talk about that when we get there. Sure. Because um, I have a thing to say about that for sure. Um, well, there's a lot to say about the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You don't like it, I can tell. Oh, man. I don't want to jump, so right. we don't have to jump. That's fine. Uh, so, I mean, there's not really any point in breaking this episode out into different arcs because it's all one big arc for the most part, except for Empty Wentz. And who's Lucy. who's Lucy's <laughs> the father of Lucy's baby? Yeah, is it Andy? Is it Dick Tremaine? Is it Empty Wins? Is it Tajimura? <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> is it that fat DA cowboy hat guy? <laughs> um. So uh, the next thing that happens is Donna and James at the double R. Do you think the implication of their like? Are they're in like the most noir version of the double R that's ever existed? I know it doesn't look like the double R when it opens up. Actually, a lot of this stuff, this episode in in that in a lot of ways, cinematically and lighting wise, harkens back to a lot of the earlier season one Twin Peaks stuff where they're just like long held shots and pacing and character performances that feel like they're either from film noirs or from like pre mid century melodramas. Mm-hmm. All the stuff with Leland and Donna feels like that. To sure. me. But yeah. anyway, sorry, that shot just, or the, the stuff with Donna and James in the double R just seemed really filmic, just because yeah. the lighting no, was I, nice. I totally agree. But it was, what it were was you going to really say about sh- the well, scene? Was, sorry. Yeah, no, on the note of what you're saying, it was sort of shocking when the camera cuts and you realize they're in the double R because yes. it does not look like how it normally looks. Um, is the implication that they had sex last night, is that That's what we're but, supposed to gather from their kind of like giggly sort of, ooh, last night stuff? Yeah, I, 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 that was my that was my reading on it as well because they have the shortest honeymoon period. Uh, like they on the same day, they're like at the beginning of this episode, they're so all over each other, well, and then they, halfway through, they apparently had sex, and then he gives her a ring, right? And then, <laughs> yeah, and then well, like they meet in the woods, and he's like, "I'm out of here. I'm James. Bye." Yep. Like also. Both uh, Donna and Cooper get rings this episode. Oh, weird. I don't know if that's intentional or not. Sarah pointed that out, and I, I realize she's correct, but I don't know what to if that's supposed to mean anything or if it's just coincidence. But it seems, I mean, they went out of their way to make James, I mean, that seems like a weird thing to just arbitrarily make him do. Well, when James becomes Bob in the Showtime season, it'll all make sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't have any further thoughts about that. I really, I'm kind of was not into um, Andy though repeating Jean Homme Solitaire. That was a little much. I thought I'm kind of that stick of his like endlessly repeating things is starting to make him look like he actually has mental problems in a way that right is when he does bizarre. that because he's just totally befuddled because he's been hit in the head or something or because he's just totally panicking it's good but when yeah. it's just like this is just his his thing it was also strange that he was saying that because it didn't mean anything although i guess this whole episode is kind of about not about but it features heavily all the sort of dream stuff and the weird connective tissue and the spiritualism stuff yeah. just bleeding out into the town yeah it's true but I mean that that's true, and I don't mind. I don't mind that. Oh, and I guess being Andy was there, saying it because it was Harold's it was in the suicide. suicide note, I know. I understand that, and I don't. I, I don't mind the part of it that is kind of bleeding out into the world, as you say. I mean that that I think is is kind of cool. If they're going to go all in on all of the sort of mythology stuff, I think that's fine. I just the I'm just yeah no just that one thing it's yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And that just continues, I guess, with Donna at Miss Tremont's place. And, like, she's been dead the whole time, like Shyamalan. Uh, what, she wasn't dead the whole time? Who's to say that that was that person's mother? It could just have been some completely random lady who claimed yeah, who claimed true. to answer that name. I suppose Because the, the woman also said that she'd never had a kid. I sort of imagined that it was similar, a similar situation to um, the world's most decrepit room service waiter. Right. And the giant where they sort of seem to occupy the same space and mm-hmm. have sort of similar moods. Although she had like a Dr. Jacoby-esque apartment interior when Donna opened that where it was just like loud, mm-hmm. loud decor and a loud shirt. Which made me realize that Jacoby hasn't been in season two and I totally didn't even notice. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about that either. Really sad. Yeah. Like, what? A, How did we leave him in season one? 
Um, he got shot, and then I think he's just in Hawaii. Yeah. He was in the hospital, right. and his wife was there. Right. And now I guess he's just in Hawaii. Right. Okay. Hmm. Bummer. I can't even remember if he comes back. I don't either. <laughs> but we'll that makes out. me really sad. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one, he's one of those characters that's insane and kind of ridiculous, but the balance that he strikes and sort of the... the I agree. The slot that he fills in the cast of Twin Peaks is really good, and I feel like you mm-hmm. actually miss him. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a good... A uh, little microcosm of Twin Peaks unto itself, which is very kind of quirky and ridiculous on its face and sort of sad and conflicted underneath. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's I mean, he he's a more extreme version of it. And you wouldn't want all the characters in the show to be to literally be that. But it's, a, you know, it's a decent representation of yeah, a lot I, of what's going I on. I wonder if there was something with that actor because he was so involved in Laura's murder in the first season. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, well, you got my tape out of my coconut. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, maybe his spirit lives on in the real Mrs. Tremont. <laughs> um, so I don't, there's all that stuff about, you know, with Cooper seeing Mike and telling about his dreams and Mike mentioning the golden circle. And this is, I feel like where you start getting all that stuff we were talking about this yep. episode. I don't really have that much to say about it. Although I do like how Mike, so Mike is still in his kind of dramatic gravitas mode here, but it's becoming more unhinged. And I like how the actor takes the sort of combines He's like almost sort of, screaming basically. Yeah, stuff. He yeah. combines the, the sort of elevated language, but with this like more manic delivery, yeah. I think comes off well. I, like, I, like, yeah. I really like the actor who, or, who, yeah, who plays this guy. Classy, bombastic, sweaty acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, there's a shot of Doctor Hayward. I love that. Oh man, I wrote that down too. Mike is just spouting this insane stuff about a golden circle and him and Bob killing together. Then it just cuts to Donna's dad going, well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Doc Hayward provides a moment of perspective on what we're observing. Yep. I feel like that happens a couple times this episode and I can't remember the other example, but maybe I have it in my notes somewhere and we'll get there. Um, I don't know. There's, there's Pajamara slash Catherine, Visiting Ben Horn. Uh, oh yeah, there's also there's like a lot of little mystery pieces get put together. Yeah, like Truman still thinks Ben did it. And they find the they find the or in addition to the letter under her finger, Albert found the fox fur, and yeah, that was in Ben Horn's mm-hmm. office. But right. like, but I mean, that doesn't really matter now that we know. Herring, yeah, you know, so. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I really okay. So I really liked the scene of Ben Horn oh, in prison too. with Taj Mahal I mean, in there. Yeah, I was like, only goofing was, around because yeah, like, no, I actually like it. I liked it because it was, again, I think that we've talked about too much and it is, I think, our love of when Ben Horn gets to be a cigar chomping guy who loves <laughs> right. like scheming and double crossing more than actually like whether or not he ends up on top. Because right. the end of this, Catherine signs the contract and he's just like, fantastic disguise, well played. Yep. Like He's just like yep. so, he's so into it. He's like, yep. oh my, this is how I was bested? Like, amazing. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Classic double cross. Amazing. Yep. Like, <laughs> Well done. Yeah. Oh, man. And then she, of course, ends with... She further... It's like, yeah. I'll consider signing it or yeah. whatever. Yep. And then he just is screaming. But, oh, mm-hmm. man. Clever disguise. Brilliant. So brilliant. He doesn't like, He doesn't miss a beat. Like, he doesn't spend one bro, second... Like, contract like, signed. What's done is done. The, Never look back. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. Yep. <laughs> it is, you're right about that. That is that is really true. That's like prime Ben. And yeah. that made me really happy. And, like, that yeah. actor totally ate it up. Like, I'm sure that he was... I don't know. You read the script for something like that. It's like, oh, and I'm written to love this and not be resentful. Sweet. Good. Got <laughs> <Perfect>. it. That's <laughs> no, true. Um, after that, the episode kind of just dives into. That's really like, like, from that the, point the on, descent like of Leland the for the rest of the yeah, episode. Sure. Yeah. So there's a, so when Donna gets there, uh, she, Leland, like she gives Leland a cassette tape of the the goofy song they made and i was you just like to maddie yeah well then my brain he's like oh she said it was a very enjoyable experience and i'm like oh my god if they just start playing this now like i could just imagine if that episode has just been them awkwardly standing around while this well that ridiculous thing plays in the background oh, man. donna sort of half smiling at leland yeah <laughs> oh no <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, no. Instead it went um obviously to a, a terrible place, but also this is like 
the all the stuff with Leland and Donna, I thought it was some of the best oh, Leland so and Donna oh, stuff man, in the episode or yeah. in the in like the show. Yeah, me too, absolutely. And I'm gonna I am gonna jump ahead and say that it bums me out that that stuff is so good because I feel like the actual explanation for Leland is totally garbage. But we'll I, we'll get to I, that. I agree. At the we'll end. get to that. Yeah. Um. But like remembering that when I was watching these, I was like, this stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. Um. Like just no, I totally agree. His like the way that his, Leland is just containing something. Oh my god! And, like, I know when she tells him about the secret diary, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Well, I it starts no with idea. the sunglasses where she walks in and he's just fixated yeah, on her true, eyes. That true. whole scene. Yeah, no, you're right. You're and you're right. like, "Oh man, it's because of Laura's sunglasses." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his his like yeah, his reaction to the to uh, learning there's a second diary his, and that the police his, already his, have it. Amazing! Yeah. I can't believe how much they. I mean, I know it's not lucked out because obviously good casting is. They cast because he's Not a good random, actor, but yeah, but like he is the range. He so did, perfect. He didn't know he'd have to do this range saying. of performance that's, that's when he signed I'm up to play the it's dad. Kind of yeah. a lucky thing. I mean, he didn't try out on that basis, um, and he just nails it. It's ridiculous. I can't believe it. Um, and there's there's a great moment after after one of the reasons I bring up the secret diary part is because when he goes, "Oh my god, I had no idea." He's got this amazing face. At that point, it seems like there's almost a flash of like understanding or suspicion on Donna's face. Like she might. She starts to maybe intuit something's going on, um, but then uh, it kind of passes. You know, I mean, Leland says, you know, it's the strangest thing. She never made it home. And he starts chewing on gum and Bob's in the mirror. But by that point, it seems like Don is already kind of. Well, yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, they pump that up as well, because when he he starts like, getting really close to her right before the phone rings and the music kind of goes up and she's like, what was that? Yeah. But then that's the scene when he's on the phone and Donna is waiting is my favorite moment in this entire episode i think by far just because of how it was shot where it's all it's donna sort of apprehensively looking deep into the bowels of the palmer house and you Mm -hmm. see that reverse angle shot that never changes and never gets closer of leland back on the phone just kind of like making his conversation audible but his physical presence really hidden away and then just sort of walks back into the shot and engages with donna and it's like the most threatening thing oh yeah just because the camera doesn't move and he just intrudes on the frame it's actually a really david lynch move i think no, totally. to hold a shot like that and then just have a character's like entrance into what was previously unoccupied space mm-hmm. be really unsettling we've seen that with bob before yeah bob right? actually bob has that when he crawls over the, crawls over the so couch far. yeah um there's one thing i want to say about the uh brief observation about when leland starts chewing the gum and Bob is in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Leland's chewing the gum, and Bob is just chewing nothing. He's just yep. like masticating the air. Yep. It's crazy. It's a really unsettling, disturbing performance that, on the part of what Frank Silva. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that shot had me excited for half a second because I thought that it was just going to show Leland looking at himself in the mirror and not show Bob. And I was like, oh man, that is such a good, crazy choice. Mm. And then it showed Bob, and it was good. Yeah, but like. It felt like that camera move was awkward because they had to like I don't think they did that with a fake mirror that time, so they had to like it starts the I know, pan and then it goes swap in. Yep, and then right, like yeah, oh yeah. it was Bob all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that was the stuff that guy does is weird and good, especially considering he's totally a non actor too, right? He's just a member of the crew. Yeah, I, this differs a lot because David Lynch has gone on camera and saying he was in fact an actor. He just was in the crew for that thing but like he had. oh so he is both things like he he mm-hmm. has acted but also was working on mm-hmm. the production of the show or something yeah yeah okay so it's not like a total unknown right. guy i mean he probably was unknown in the way that actors are unknown but, right but yeah um there was one thing what was i just about to just about to say um that guy chewing on air oh well, <laughs> well there was that but then there was also uh i really liked how after leland puts on the record after you know leland puts the music on uh bob screams and then we're back to leland and we realize that like leland must not have made any actual sound because donna doesn't react at all so there's there's something inside of leland yeah just this crazy shocking moment of bob screaming and then just everything's normal still man and then donna's fine with everything until leland gets really grabby and gross right Mm -hmm. right before that's oh yeah no it's, it's yeah it's gross oh but then he gives her like a little like condescending pat before he leaves the room yep which is that's the stuff that i don't know if that's directed or if that's just ray wise adds stuff like that but there are just things that he does occasionally that especially now where we are i like like you don't really know how much of that is leland and how much of that is bob and how much of that's just like because it's just like creepy but it's not creepy in the way that bob's creepy it's just creepy the way that a creepy guy is creepy yeah for sure 
Like just, mm-hmm. ugh. Yep, definitely. It's gross. Uh, anyway, so so Truman comes, summons Linda away, and Donna. I mean, at that point, I think Donna really understands that something is really. Oh yeah, that's because that's wrong. That's because he was like Leland was like touching her hair, mm-hmm. and then she like yeah. There's just mm-hmm. like yep. something is weird with yeah, Leland, sure. yep. but which. <laughs> It feels like Donna fell for the phone call trick, though, because when she's talking to James later in the episode, she's like, I heard Leland talking on the phone with Maddie, and now she's yeah, dead. I guess that's and it true. was like, that was within three minutes of itself. Yeah. I, like, come on, yeah. Donna. Yeah. No, I guess that's true. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Then she goes to the woods, and they break up, sort of, I guess. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to change. <laughs> I feel like James has just been threatening to get on his bike and go for like four episodes. Yep. One day he will. I don't really have anything to say about it. Nope. I mean, at that point, it's like. So at that point, they're in the roadhouse, right? And that's like. Yeah. The whole big, crazy. It's actual straight up parlor room scene. Well, it starts with Cooper and Truman in there and like Ben Horn's just like chowing down on food in the corner, right? Yeah. And then Bobby, Bobby comes in with. Right or Bobby comes in with Leo and Major Brit. No, who is it? Hawk. No, yeah, with Hawk and Bobby. Like weirdly, is like give yourself a raise, Hawk. Like, or so, am I mishearing? He has this weird <clears throat> diss to Hawk that I don't understand what the point of it was or like why it was. Maybe it was for wheeling Leo in. It was. It was for. It, it, that's that is what it was. And for, then Bobby but, like, like does the most goofy like the way he wheels Leo across the room is like in this like snake pattern where he's like yeah. wobbling the wheelchair back and forth. <laughs> the whole performance. Yeah. Bobby was so strange. Like yeah. what. I couldn't understand what what he was trying to communicate. It was so odd. Uh, and then the other thing about that that was incredibly hilarious to me was that so at this point in the room we have Cooper, Truman, Ed, Hawk, Leland, Leo, Bobby, and Albert, and Cooper is like the killer is already in the room. This is fairly awkward because Ben was already under suspicion, and if he did it, Cooper probably doesn't need to like right. bring everyone in here to figure out who the killer is. Leo's comatose. And most of the rest of the people are law enforcement, so it's like the only person left at that point is Bobby. Right. Like, I mean, if he... Well, was Leland not there? No, Leland wasn't there yet. Wasn't there yet, right? Because... Oh, what? Oh, no, he was. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, he was. So it's basically Leland and Bobby are, like, realistically... Right. Or Hawk. Yeah, I mean, I guess... That, yeah, maybe that maybe it was Hawk. Um, I just I just thought that was... Maybe a, it was Major Briggs. Was he, he there? He wasn't there yet, no. Oh, he gets so, it. Yeah, well, so, so, so Cooper's like... I now find myself in need of something new, which, for lack of a better word, we shall call <laughs> magic. magic. And then there's, like, not one, but, like, 12 lightning strikes, yeah. at which point Albert, like, sort of glances around in a yes. really great, he has this amazing look. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, it's super good. Um, and oh, then, yeah. <laughs> ben Horn also is eating that up. Yeah, Ben Horn is just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, he's, I, he's, he's fantastic this whole episode. Um, All right, that's when Major Briggs comes in with the room service man. The true killer, as we now know. Yep. And Leland uh, sees the gum. Oh, and then, so, I remembered this being later in the episode than it was. I guess I'm wrong, because it's so climactic that I had remembered this part being at the end. Obviously, it's not. But the the sort of flash stills of each of the characters in the room. Oh, yeah, that's because... Yeah, once Leland recognizes the gum and the room service waiter says, that gum you like is going to come back into style, which is what right. the dwarf says to Cooper in his dream. It just goes... Right. Every yeah. lightning strike has a freeze frame of someone illuminated. Yeah. And I actually really liked that. I just thought it was cool. It was like a weird, cool, weird thing. I mean, it's kind of cheesy. Um, but at this point, like, like in the context of Twin Peaks, you have to kind of readjust your threshold for what counts as cheesy. oh man the final shot of this episode exceeds whatever threshold that could be <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah no yeah, i know i figured you would think that <laughs> i mean i still i still also liked it in a way yeah but it also could be the last shot of like a toyota truck dealership or something yeah um, <laughs> um yeah this part of the episode is the part where i was both like stoked that it was twin peeksing out to the max because it was like mm-hmm. maximum twin peaks is happening in here where it's like yep. crazy crazy angles as cooper just like goes crazy like this is just cooper running the show in the most extreme way possible like all the, the flash flash bulbs yep. on people uh-huh. and all that stuff all of our fav- favorite lines coming back because he's remembering everything but it also felt 
like it it just all feels like a tiny bit of an overreach to me yeah i mean i agree. I, mean, I, I don't know watching this for the first time maybe i was less i felt less like that i can't remember no i the i agree and the reason i agree is because the version of this that coop so i mean obviously we understand that cooper is saying like okay none of my prior methods worked got to do something else but i don't really think that they i don't entirely think they sell why cooper knew how to pull off this weird thing that would like clearly trigger something mystical i know i wish i wish that cooper, him i wish they did have felt more like um the tibetan rock like the tibetan rock ring, ring where yeah. it feels like cooper's kind of playing a hunch but kind of knows what he's doing and right. then the results are surprising to him as well like i feel right. like this yeah. scene this was like it, i'm going to get the answer yeah it has I will do this thing now i have the answer it has like, oh. all of the pieces to be that other kind of scene but it just doesn't it's a little too on the nose it goes it just goes for being grandiose peaks instead of like instead of that yeah i i agree i and i and that I think continues in this episode at, at times when yeah. he's sort of laying everything out. There's still beat. a ton to like. Oh, I agree. No, I liked this episode on balance for sure. I liked it. I mean, I liked it a lot. I don't, it's not even like a mediocre episode. No, or anything. The, it's I, good, but, but that, but yes, that I think it tends a little too much towards the tidy in those moments. It just, yeah, it just, it also, yeah, it pushes, it pushes all that lore. It pushes being like sort of the most theatrical bombastic version of, agent cooper solving a case that it possibly could which like it's cool to actually see but at the same time it feels like it's especially strange given that we've known for two episodes because well, he's not really solving a case he's just kind of doing some stuff i mean he just he does not to its things i mean my yeah. favorite he, my favorite cooper moment in the whole episode is the one where he's actually doing something that you could characterize as like police work which is when he says you know ben horn i'm putting i'm putting you under arrest you might want to take real and palmer along yeah, 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 yeah. as your attorney like that's that's great that moment where he like very subtly drags leland along <clears throat> by putting leland at ease like yep I, that's my favorite cooper moment i like that way more than any of his other like piecing together a mystic mystery thing yeah but the thing that makes the show twin peaks is is the fact that the scene that you're talking about your favorite moment is preceded by the crazy stuff that happens. Well, it's just, it's just the, yes, but there's a Twin the, Peaks scene, version of it. That's that scene less, in and of itself could have been better. And then led yes. into that awesome. I'm not saying I don't think there should be any of the mysticism stuff. Yeah. yeah. I just think that mysticism by its nature kind of makes a little more sense when it's less literal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, at that soon after that, we're at the point where we get the, Really, I, I I think the first sustained dialogue in the show with Bob, right? Yeah, we've never had that before. Nope. Where like Bob has an on like a extended conversation with other yeah, characters. Yeah, or just Leland as Bob is just Ray yeah. Wise turning himself red. Mm-hmm. And I, Ray Wise does a great job with that, I think. Um, but it, it too is also a little more literal than than is what I, than is you know like it just trends a little bit more towards these sort of one to one. Mm-hmm. kind of relationship between the mystical world and the real world than I, than I like quite as much with Twin Peaks. You know, I mean, the fact that, like, yep. Bob has this very literal, like, I possessed this guy, and I did these things, and Leland didn't know any of it. And, you know, I mean, it's... Yep. I, I ironically think, Al- I like Albert's observation more than anyone else's here, where he has... I mean, it's kind of a pat observation, but he's like, maybe Bob is you know, the evil that all men do. Uh, and Albert, oh, man, about, I didn't like that at all. I thought oh, that, you didn't like that. I thought that was like a book closing flat well, reading of twin ex- peaks. That yes, really infuriated it, me, except that it wasn't because they, they, they gloss right past it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like he says that and then, right. But that's Truman's that's like, the way that you bury the thing that you think is the message of your work and the thing that you don't want to have an on the nose character say it. If he's like, maybe it was that all along. They're like, nah, probably not. Let's go. Like I, it really bothered me a lot. Yeah, actually. that's fair. I guess it only didn't bother me because I feel I felt like there needed to be some counterbalance against the the much the sort of very literal possession. Thing yeah, no, that's that being that's that's fair. I mean, within this, yeah, sure. But I know what you're saying. I mean, if they had actually ended on that, it would have been terrible. Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, the way that I sort of made myself enjoy that line is by just thinking that's just a thing that Albert thinks and he said. Yeah, and if but if that. Like no, but you're right in that it's impossible not to read the author into that. Yeah, because I think if you look at the entirety of Leland's story, not including the one part where Bob speaks and says this is what it means, 
I don't think that Albert's observation is any more accurate or like all encompassing of an observation of what Leland and Bob is than than Leland or than Bob's like I'm just a crazy evil spirit that possesses you and I mean nothing <laughs> right. mm-hmm. like then Albert saying maybe he's just representative of the evil that men do like that also sells the whole thing short to me and that's what bothered me about the whole end of this episode yeah is I feel like they've been walking this awesome line with Leland um yeah, and then I agree. just the way they that they, of, the way they, that they close it, it in every direction just yeah. sucks. You're right. They kind of collapse it in both directions in sort of an unsatisfying way. And this is why Fire Walk With Me is great. And we can't really talk about that now because it's a yeah, spoiler. Like, but I I think we both think based on past conversations, I'm guessing, that the way that they consider this entire dynamic in Fire Walk With Me is far more interesting and subtle yeah. than how it's collapsed in this episode. Yes. Yeah. And if you watch, I mean, watching the show in the order that it was produced where you get the firewalk with me last will actually be really nice, I think, because it lets you, or it it also sort of pulls the seams apart of this stuff that's happening right now yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, yes. It feels like, yeah, firewalk with me kind of feels like David Lynch went, what? 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 <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Got something to say about this. Yeah. I'll say it in a sweet movie. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, that... That all of the way that the Leland stuff closes down kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth about this entire episode, even though this episode has some incredible stuff. Like, yeah, I agree. The, the sort of Leland being on the knife's edge of who is Leland, who is Bob, what does he mean, sort of can, mm-hmm. how do characters react around him. The, the scene with Leland, Leland and Donna is one of like the best examples of that existing in a non-literal sense of it just like existing entirely in that sort of weird – yeah emotional sort of gut response mood level. And I, and I appreciate also having finished this episode again for the second time. I I appreciate how it takes three full episodes for all this stuff. I totally forgot about that when I, when we were, when I know I did too. I think it would have been a lot weaker as a more traditional, um, kind of a plot twist sprung on you. You know, I mean, I think living in it for a few episodes is as, you know, it's, Bob it's really as good. Leland, really, yeah, it really sort of it softens what would otherwise be, I think, a really God, he was possessed the whole time, right? Yeah, you know, you don't yeah, ever for sure. Feel being that way being able to see all the characters react to Leland the way they always have, mm-hmm. but you know what's going on, yeah, gives you like it gives the show so much, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, and that's, I guess, one way. Even though I think Twin Peaks, they, you know, I think really suffers from having an incredibly long second season and just kind of going and going. And I think, you know, the mo- modern, like, 8 to 12 episode seasons, I think, are a lot better for narrative shows. These but three episodes you'd never get in a show. That that's way. what I was going to say, yeah. exactly. That's, like, one example yeah. where I think the format shines. Um, you know, so what are you going to do? But uh, I guess <laughs> to cap off all of your least favorite parts of this episode, all the stuff you were just not crazy about is then concluded. Where's by- Bob now? Oh, he's a <laughs> 90s binder. He's like a, like a, a trapper keeper. Lisa Frank trapper keeper. <laughs> yep. Well, he's like he's like the abstract art trapper keeper oh, flying true. around. The then, then ends in the Lisa Frank trapper keeper of the owl flying right. out of a lens yeah, flare. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah. The 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 '90s version of that scene probably also has this like a 3D rendered cylinder and a cube. Oh man, yeah. That, the shot of the camera just like going like just evil deading around. If there was just like a chrome chess piece involved right. in that. <laughs> or in the shot of the owl either way if that owl was there yeah. then there was a chrome well, there's, a, there's a moment it. where the owl is like gold yeah or something like it it yeah oh man and then the owl freeze frames but like the crazy strobing flare behind it continues to be a moving element mm-hmm. it's an interesting choice i guess that's <laughs> where bob is we want someone postulates where's bob now and the answer is he's in a video-based effects workshop somewhere <laughs> On a video toaster. He's yeah, Bob is now in a video toaster. He's inside of an Amiga. <laughs> um I mean I guess all that was meant to say is Bob is in an unknown weird place. Yeah. Bob's free now. He's ready to do it again. Uh yeah. you want to talk about MT Wentz or do you have more to say about Bob? There's not a lot to say about MT Wentz. What? There's so much to say about MT Wentz. You mean about um I don't remember her Norma's name. Norma's mom really doesn't like this omelet, and Norma doesn't really like her mom. Yep. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe she's not empty once though. Uh, you want to talk about Andy and Lucy at all? That's, no, I mean, I'm sure that's going to go somewhere in the future and we can talk about it. Yeah. I liked that the, that, um, 
who is it that was smoking? It was Dick Tremaine. I, yeah, I like. I like. I really like. I like. I was like Dick Tremaine smoking. Give me a break. And then I was like, okay, he's. This is, might only be here to set off the smoke detector. Yeah, but was. I loved that all that stuff was in yeah, just inside just rain for the one, whole end of the episode. It oh was yeah, great. for sure. And also the thing where. So okay. oh man, where they're like, you are the killer. You have confessed. Cut to Andy and Dick Tremaine talking about Lucy's baby. Yeah. Like <laughs> immediately, I was like, oh man, okay, I'm I'm on board with this. Whatever yep. was going on before. So there's that. Live, there's, laughing there's this up. Two things about Dick Tremaine smoking that I like. One is that is yeah, as he's smoking, um, it pans up to the to the uh, smoke detector. Yeah. That is the kind of specific foreshadowing that I feel like Twin Peaks almost never does. That's such a like television drama television soap opera it feels like a backwards built thing where like we want the end to be in the rain and for it to be crazy and for leland to be bashing his head against the wall well, but it's, it's also how that, do but, we set the fire alarm off well, yeah that i'm sure was the case but also I'm, I'm sure you're right that's how they arrived at, in it but i just mean in terms of just how it's shot and the way it's presented to the viewer it's a kind of foreshadowing that i just don't think they do on twin peaks usually on twin peaks foreshadowing is like ominous and mystical this is literally this is like, like that smoke detector smoke is, gonna go off. is going to go smoke off detector. yeah exactly and that it it was very television in a way that twin peaks actually rarely is yeah. and then the other thing i liked about it was just the ridiculousness of so lucy you know is addressing them and sh- said she's gonna do a blood twist <laughs> oh i know what you're gonna and say then <laughs> dick's like got a light and and, and andy no. like fumbles around for a bit he can't <laughs> find one and then you just see dick tremaine with the biggest shit-eating grin on his face with this like foot-long cigarette holder right that it just which he then can light and then lucy then lucy's lights, like yeah. disappointed that andy doesn't have right. a light a, a match for a gentleman yeah and just the just the the one frame of of Dick Tremaine's like enormous grin, just like as that shit eating grin, like, yeah, ridiculous device, yeah, it just actually legitimately cracked me up. Yeah, no, it was really good. funny. Well, that's that episode, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I I totally agree with you that I I really do not appreciate. Yeah, I, it's, I just it's not into how I, they. I liked a lot of the scenes in it, and I liked a lot of the like. The big I events, and I thought it was really actually cathartic to have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, happen. I do too. It's just the it's really only to do with like the specific literal fallout of the Bob the, stuff. The choice to have Cooper, but even everything that surrounded it was great. Yeah, yeah, but like you know? yeah, Cooper literally interpreting his, his dream and yeah. that being the answer to that, and Bob saying I literally just possessed Leland. When I'm gone, he won't even know. Mm-hmm. Those were like, oh come on, like those two points. Yeah. Are like the magnets that all of the rest of the episode is orbiting around, which sucks because yeah. everything in it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I read um, right before we came in here, I read the forum thread for this episode. Mm-hmm. And there's some good sort of like theorizing for what could be going on or what you could allow into your own personal reading of this stuff. And one person was saying like, given the way that Leland and Bob have been presented, that maybe Bob's sort of confession to the police was also kind of a way of letting Leland off the hook, which I think is totally reading into it in a way that the that is probably not the original intent. But like, basically, if Le- if Bob is about to dis- disappear out of Leland, if 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 he was m- deliberately misdescribing their relationship, which I don't think was uh, author's intent at all. Yeah, I don't think. But so that's either. a way more accurate read to what's actually going on in the work, in my opinion. That's interesting. Yeah. Except that that's not in Bob's character at all. Bob would never give anyone any mercy. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I think I, Bob just doesn't care. Yeah, but I feel like ugh, the way that they the way that they wrote his explanation just feels so off the mark for everything else going on in the show. I agree. That that's I'm sure why people want yeah, to I mean, like want to reach out and sort right, of be like yeah. this this is what would probably be a better thing. Sure. To say. Right. 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 But anyway, that Bob and Leland are sort of together being opportunistic as opposed. Yeah. To, right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting interpretation. Yeah. I I agree that I don't think it's what was intended, but it doesn't mean it's not an interesting reading. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you you want to speaking of reading, you want to read some. Oh, some, have, yeah, good point. Some mails. <clears throat> so here's a question from Thomas Holt. Uh, Hi, Chris and Jake. I only recently finished watching the series and I'm right now watching the movie. I decided to go back and listen to the spoiler sections of the cast. And in episode nine or ten, Jake goes on to mention that his parents stopped watching the show at the start of season two because the supernatural aspects of the show, show became too strong. I'm very curious if they watched up to the point where Laura's killer was discovered or whether they just found out on the grapevine or just said to hell with it and never found out. Did a change in direction put them off so badly, or were they still interested to go out of their way to find out who killed her? Keep up the good work. I wouldn't have known the show existed if it weren't for Idle Thumbs, which led me to this cast. 
I now plan on binge watching the X Files when I get a chance. Ha ha. Thanks, Thomas. I don't actually know. I get the feeling from like I also don't think their memory of how much of the show they watched and didn't watch is entirely clear because they remember it as a show that was on in like nineteen eighty five instead of nineteen ninety. Mm. Um like they lump it in with sort of some earlier drama stuff. But yeah. the feeling that I got is that they probably watched up through when the killer was revealed, but once things like aliens started to get mentioned and stuff started just to get completely weird for reasons not entirely known. I suspect that they're watching it to get to the end of the mystery more so than, but, but it was sort of colored in their brain. That's the way that my dad describes that show. It feels like he was like, it started off really good, but then it just kind of got weird. And I was like, did you guys finish? Like, I don't think so, but I mean, who killed Laura Palmer, right? Like that's like his, (laughs) uh, right. So I suspect that my parents didn't get much farther than the episode we just watched this week. Sure. But I couldn't say. Yeah. I can ask. Maybe you should. Maybe I will. Uh, Hayden Gilbert writes, uh, this is my third time through the story of Twin Peaks, and I can't help but feel that someone must have thought a better way to go about the second season while appeasing the network's demands while also maintaining an integrity and mystery would be to, would been have to reveal Leland as the killer but have the rest of the series be Coop, Cooper and company on the hunt. The tension would have been from us knowing what he really is and how much further and how many more murders he could commit. I have to imagine this was a possibility. Have you, have any of you heard about this coming up in the writer's room? What do you think? I added the part about what do you think because I don't know how else to answer that question. Was that – sorry, was that just totally postulated by Yeah, I don't think person? this was – I think he's – this person is just saying this might have been an interesting thing. Man, I don't know how long you could make that last. That actually feels more like the conceit that you would base a modern – nighttime thriller serial about where it's like the killer is in plain sight the entire like yeah like um did you see the have you seen the show the fall no they get two full seasons out of that where you know who the and it's it's actually interesting in the sense that you know who the killer is in that show quite early on it actually has jillian anderson uh is the lead in that show and um and uh it just the show is about the hunt as opposed to the mystery you know, there are characters in the show who don't know who it is. I think that could totally work. I don't think that Mark Frost would have made it work from what I've heard from people who looked yeah. into a lot of the stuff on the forum. It sounds like Mark Frost had always really wanted Laura Palmer's murder to be the catalyst for this show idea. And it sounds like, I mean, I don't know because I haven't read enough about this stuff, but especially the stuff that Lost in the Movies has posted on our forums. It sounded like when the network said, wrap this up, like... Frost was reasonably into that idea of putting Laura's mystery to bed and trying to use that as a launch pad for the rest of what made Twin Peaks interesting, which I don't think is a successful experiment, but yeah, but like that structure I had never thought about, but would have been crazy. I don't know how long they could have pulled it off with the show that they had in the world that they had. I agree. I think that kind of, that format I think is incredibly interesting and you can get a lot out of it, but I think, I think you're right that given I just think there's not enough more. There's not enough meat elsewhere in the show. Yeah. I mean, because how do you have a hunt for that guy when he's a guy who's in plain sight, who we know he is, but all you have is the town of Twin Peaks and Cooper and the sheriff's department? Like it feels. I mean, like- I don't think I don't think that makes it impossible. I mean, I think I think there have been shows and and books that have done that with similar tools i just don't think they started like, yeah it, it would be a very it would twin peaks would take a huge turn right. as far as its format and style and the way that it tells its story and stuff yeah. i think it would it would have to ratchet up intensity in ways that i think are would really change what the show is um you know i mean i think it's really shocking when another murder happens in twin peaks and they occur pretty far apart in terms of episode count yep um and i think that I think it's really effective that they are that surprising when they occur. Yep. Uh, or I mean, not surprising to the viewers, but to, but surprising to the to the people who. But the intensity of what you're seeing coming out of Twin Peaks is actually kind of surprising yeah, because you're used to it just being this like weird slow. Yeah, right. For being a show simmer. about a murderer, like there's a lot of just kind of slow. You know, as you say, slow simmering throughout a lot of the first and early second season. Yes, yeah, so if it was Leland yeah. on the run, that would be. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. You could see it maybe happening. So here's an exa- here's another British thing actually that that remind that I'm reminded of from this. There's a uh, there's a book called Sight for Sore Eyes by a British crime writer named Ruth Rendell, and she is mainly known for an incredibly long running series about a character called Inspector Wexler. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really familiar with those, but I did read her a standalone novel she wrote in I think 1997 called Sight for Sore Eyes, and that well, the whole novel is 
you know, I think unlike most of her crime fiction, it's about the person, the sort of the, the criminal as much as it is about the people he affects and the sort of search for him. And he's not a career criminal. He's a guy who ended up committing a crime. Right. And as a result, it has that kind of slow burn, but it's very intense because he's coming in constant contact with people who have no idea who he is. And it's a really, it's, I, I think just an absolutely excellent book. Um, it's called Cypher Sore Eyes. And it, it, if you like this conceit that this sort of hypothetical conceit we're discussing, right. it's an absolutely awesome read. I think, man, it's funny. Cause th- she then, by the way, I have to say she then retroactively made it part of her inspector Wexler series by writing a sequel like 10 years later in which Inspector Wexler solves the crime. And I read that book too, and it's kind of a bummer. Oh, well, that was... <laughs> so just read Sight for Sore Eyes. It's amazing. Yeah, hearing you talk about that and the fall and thinking about the few episodes that we have had with Leland and the whole town, like just when he goes and is Ben Horn's attorney or like when he encounters kids or his relationship with Sarah Palmer, there's probably actually a lot more meat on that bone than they use. And you know what? Honestly, that's actually kind of what Without spoiling anything specific, I would say Fire Walk With Me kind of covers some of that ground. Yes. But it but it doesn't support the whole movie. They still have to introduce all this other stuff Yeah, the, you but, know, to fill out the work. Huh. But yeah, it's an interesting mental exercise for sure. I, I think the thing that I was saying when I was saying there wasn't enough stuff is that I suspected just from the construction of the mystery that they had built up until the episode when Leland kills Maddie. I don't know if there's enough left for Cooper to find unless they just keep... Like, it just turns into cat and mouse forever, which I don't know if that would... Yeah. But anyway, I would watch that alternate dimension Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, You want to spoil stuff? Do you have spoilers? Man, I thought that I did. Maybe I don't now. All right, let's call it. No spoilers this week. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. As always, uh, if you do like the show, please recommend it to a friend. It's our only way of finding new people. And uh, consider um, rating us on iTunes. That helps a lot as well. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. On Twitter at Peaks Rewatch. Uh, you can send us mail that we will read on air uh, to questions. I'm sorry, to Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net. Um, our website is at twinpeaksrewatch.com. And we're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. We will talk next week about the 18th episode of Twin Peaks. See you guys then. The first episode with no tangible threads to the Laura Palmer mystery. True. It's going to be weird. Give yourself a raise, Hawk. Huh?